Welcome to Making Conversations Count, the podcast that shares business leaders' pivotal moments to help aspiring entrepreneurs. Today, I'm excited because I have Andrew Deaton here with me. And now I met Andrew about three years ago, and he has actually helped me in my business. So I know that I've had a couple of pivotal moments just off the back of meeting Andrew. So it was great to be able to ask him to come on the show and share his with you too. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. I know that we've known each other for a while. Tell everybody what you do and how we first met. I run a training and development business now, so particularly focusing on helping businesses to build high-performing teams. And and now the situation we're in, remote high-performing teams. Um, And I also help businesses who may be a bit bigger, who need some outsourced training and development support. So putting strategies and processes in place around developing their people and their teams and their organisation. And um, we first met when I volunteered to do some work with Staffordshire Chamber as a mentor, and they introduced me to you and Colette, and we uh, started having a few business mentoring sessions. Absolutely. And the Holiday Inn in Burton. The Holiday Inn and their cappuccinos. Yes, because Colette is also known as my work wife for the sales and marketing workshops that we were delivering. We've not delivered any through lockdown. And that was purely because we thought that the reason that people loved our workshops so much was the interaction that they get in the room. So this remote working thing really has changed. How have the conversations that you've been having with delegates, you know, training online, how have they changed? Obviously, it's different. I think it's useful if you do get the chance to meet someone face to face first and then take it offline. But obviously, that's fundamentally changed now. So I ran a a webinar session two days ago, actually. And strangely, and I don't know why, but most of the delegates were from Malaysia. So it just opens up that properly global thing without having to leave my my office, you know, and it's just bizarre. I don't know why it was, where it came from, but I advertised it on LinkedIn and, and Eventbrite. And most of the people there were, were from overseas rather than the UK, which was just strange. Really opened things up, the potential. Yeah, there's something happening in Malaysia that there's a, maybe a skill shortage that they haven't got anybody that they can call to. And I know that you're very active on social media in telling people what you do and how you do things. You do lots of video, which I think is great for connecting with people. So maybe that's why your global reach has boomed. I try to vary things, see what works and what doesn't work. Lots of us are learning. You know, we've had to shift I've not shifted what I do or what I want to do, really. I've just had to shift how I do it and maybe package things a bit differently with the remote stuff. I think you can still deliver pretty interactive, pretty good workshops online, particularly with teams who know each other. Obviously, it's more difficult if you're pulling a new team together. But I think if people know each other before and they just happen to have to work remotely, you can still do away days and facilitation and team events quite successfully online. Somebody mentioned to me a couple of days ago that we all need some form of training in terms of how to handle ourselves online in like Zoom situations. 
looking out for nuances of facial expression, distractions that you may not normally notice. And I know myself, I've done it. I've bore foul of it, but also I've noticed it in team sessions that I've run as well. And I think it's that difference. I think that's perhaps why I love the phone so much. You don't necessarily need to see all of that body language. It's all about coming out in the voice, isn't it, as to what you do. And I think when you're delivering through Zoom or something, it's about trying to remember that when you're talking to look at the camera, the temptation is to either look at yourself or look at the person you're talking to, which you would naturally do. But if you're looking at the person that you're talking to, then you lose the eye contact because the camera doesn't see you. That's strange, isn't it, though, because that eye contact through the camera means that I can't keep an eye on what your responses are to what I'm saying. Exactly. And people think it's kind of you have to imagine it's you're sort of a TV presenter and just imagine you talk. If you're doing a group session, imagine you're just talking to one person. It's almost that pretend you're on the phone so that you don't get distracted as well by other things going on, isn't it? That's a good technique, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you you mentioned there as well that, you know, getting people to perform, whether they know one another or, or not, online can be difficult. There's got to be some success stories as well. What sort of feedback have you had from the deliveries that you've been doing? It's been really positive, actually, so far. Things have progressed quite a lot as well. So I think people like short, sharp sessions. They appreciate that because we spend so much time, a lot of us, on, on Zoom and it's back to back you know, 12 till one and then one till two. I think the danger is people just don't leave themselves gaps. So what quite a lot of people suggest is is running things from sort of five or 10 past the hour to five or 10 to the hour rather than hour long sessions. And, And it just gives people that 10 minute break in between to get their thoughts together, go and grab a drink and so on. So I think you've got to think and people appreciate that if you put the thought into how you're delivering and, and what the impact is on people. They really appreciate it because the vast majority aren't like that. So if you're thinking about it, they appreciate it and they appreciate it more. And then just, again, trying to build in interaction, you know, whether that's just through encouraging people to answer things in the chat box or polls or the whiteboard features, things like that. So people appreciate that and give give good feedback based on that interactivity. It's not just about putting slides up and, and sort of a little picture of you in the corner and then just and just talking through slides. That's not what people want now. I hear exactly what you're saying there, Andrew. I mean, the sessions that I run, I always say, right, I better introduce myself and tell you what we're going to be doing today. And and you can see all the microphones go red with a line through because they've put themselves on mute. And I'm like, so the first thing I'm going to say to you is unmute yourselves because you're going to be involved. Yep, I want you to be asking questions. This is this is your session. It's for you, not for me. It is interesting how the difference, I think, in expectations that you find that it's not very refreshing when people put themselves all on mute, is it? As well, if they don't have the video, and I know people have reasons for not putting the video on and that's fine, but it makes it really difficult then to judge. You know, you've got 20 little squares on the screen you're just you are trying to judge the reactions but if there's no video as well it's just really really difficult that's the art of presenting as well as being engaging isn't it and I think this is why making conversations count I'm so passionate about it is because I, it's got to be a two-way street you know you can give but you you also need to receive so it's that speaking and listening yeah absolutely really important, really important. yeah 
everybody that comes on the show, I always ask them to have a think about one conversation that created a turning point and we've been calling it at their pivotal moment and one thing that's become clear is that a lot of people have more than one Mm -hmm. so Andrew have you been able to think of one yes it was actually goes back to 2007 so it's quite an old one okay but um it's it's when I was working at Rolls-Royce so I I started at Rolls-Royce when I was 18 and worked there for 26 years I was actually in the marine business So I was the head of employee development for the marine business in Rolls-Royce. My boss called me in one day and um, he said, oh, we're we're setting up a new business unit. Would you be interested in being the HR director for this new business unit? And I'd sort of got a mix of HR background and a mix of training and development background. So I sort of swapped between the two. And it it was a big promotion for me. So I said, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for asking me. It was brilliant from a career perspective. It was just superb. So that was all great. And then he said, but it's going to be based in Singapore. <gasps> so that kind of put a bit of a different twist on things because my wife was working. I'd got twin girls at home who were 11 at the time and my son was five. So I said, mm. I said, yes, I better just check at home first before. I, it's not before just I my decision. Yes. So that was that was really quite a fundamental point so yeah so then I I went home and had a chat with Joe my wife and my fundamental thing is around opportunity you know so we said well it was for two years initially two years just goes like that let's do it let's go for it so I went back and said yes and then it came to um, a bit I guess into your arena sales so I had to then sell it to my kids because the girls had just started senior school you know they'd been with the same friends all through school we'd lived in in the, in the same area for for all their lives you know so it was going to be a bit of a sales pitch so we went back and it was very clunky internet in those days and strange beeps and things when you went online and all sorts of stuff but we pulled up pictures of that part of the world and the beaches and things that we could do and stuff and, and started a bit of a sales pitch to the kids, really. I always remember the thing that sticks in my mind is when we were showing these pictures, one of my daughters, Emily, she said, am I dreaming? Is this real? And we knew that we'd, we kind of got them. So I accepted it. I started working in it in 2007 from the UK, just sort of going out there now and again. But then Joe and I had to go out on our sort of look-see visit and find a house and find a school and all that. Came a little bit of a, another sales pitch, really, just to convince Joe that it was definitely the right thing to do. I think the thing that swung it when we'd got out there, as soon as we landed, it was kind of early morning because of the flight times. You get there about six in the morning. So we were in the hotel swimming pool at eight in the morning in the sunshine at 30 degrees. And she said, yeah, I've probably managed this for two years. So <laughs> I got another convert there. Yeah, and then and, and also the hotel had a happy hour in the evening in this sort of the business lounge, which was on sort of the 30th floor overlooking the city, and it was free canapes and wine. So that swung it as well, I think. You know, we decided we'll go for it. We actually moved out in March 2018. That was the start of our pivot. It's exciting, isn't it? And I think what you've described there as well, even with your wife saying, yes, the opportunity from the start and yeah, well, let's get the kids on board. And even then going out to look for the house, it starts to become not just an expectation, but a reality. It's bridging the, well, it was a good idea, but 
is this real? Is this happening? How is it going to affect me? And then it's all the uncertainty. But what a fabulous opportunity to go out there. So what's your lasting memory of Singapore? It's a mix of probably a couple of things, really. It's the opportunity from a work perspective. It was a proper international role. So the business that I worked in, we had 34 locations across the world. So I was looking after, a, a, it was only a small team, but a, a remote global team, part of an executive group looking after a 2000 people business. So it was sort of that experience and exposure at that level and the opportunity to sort of travel for business, which I actually really enjoy flying. You know, some people hate it, but I really enjoyed the business travel side. It was part of it. But also, particularly, I think that the key thing was from a family perspective for me, it opened up for all of us such a, I suppose, a, a, an opportunity to experience things that we would never have experienced. I didn't know anything about that part of the world at all when we went out there. So we were literally going into the, quite into the unknown. But they call Singapore Asia for beginners because it's fairly westernized, isn't it? Yeah. So they drive on the left and you don't need an adapter for your sockets and think, you know, it's, it's very Western and English and English law and so on. It's the opportunities that opens up to travel and experience different countries and cultures. And, and Singapore itself is just such a mix of cultures. There's sort of four main cultures in Singapore anyway, but then you bring all these different expat countries and, and people in as well. It's a yeah. real pocket people it's from home. Real, yeah. yeah. That whole cultural awareness and customs and you know getting used to working with different people with a different perspective and it's just great and for the kids they went to a school that had 42 nationalities in it in a school wow. of 400. and and they've got friends now all over the world so my daughter she was due to be a bridesmaid for a friend in Australia this year but obviously that's not happened oh wow um, she went traveling after uni and um, met five Japanese friends who she'd not seen for five years and her and her boyfriend they took them around Tokyo as tour guides you know and she hadn't seen them for five years but they made these friends from all over the world and and just their understanding I think it's their understanding that they've got of different cultures is great. So you've got all of you on the same page because it's all unknown to everybody so you're all learning together. As we go yep absolutely. Which as a family unit can either make or break you can't it? if you're not careful, let's face it. So fabulous that they were on board, that they embraced it and look at the knock-on effect that it's had in their lives as well, being young adults and young children coming through. Amazing. It was tough for them at first because they were leaving their friends, obviously, you know, it's really, particularly for the girls because they'd got their real roots. And so it was very hard for them to be fair to take out and I think social media sometimes is a bit double-edged because it was very easy to stay in touch, which was great for us keeping in touch with our parents, but it was easy for them to keep in touch with their friends. So sometimes they, you know, obviously missing them and stuff, but then it's okay, right? We did so much, probably so much more than we ever would have done here as a family because we were in a rented house. We didn't have the usual, we've got to do decorating and all this sort of stuff in their house you know so we did every weekend we tried to go somewhere you know just on on the island to visit different things and see different things and go to museums and go out to the pool and go to the park and you know probably brought us a lot closer together as a family than we would have so from that conversation of can you take on this new role and you go yeah to can you go to Singapore oh it really did 
have a positive impact not just on you but your family and and your life and then we had to come back and and so you know the girls actually were easy to bring back to the UK Tom my, my son was it was really tough for him coming back because he'd really forgotten the UK because he'd done sort of basically half his life by then out there and all his friends were in Singapore really the opposite adjustment yeah so he was really easy to take out but it was really hard for him to come back you know so it was really the flip side and then yeah you're integrating back into the UK you know and I bet he's kept in touch with lots of people as well hasn't yeah, he? He's got, yeah absolutely again you know South Africa he's got a, a friends there and Spain and all over the place God. both the girls have traveled since and, and Tom wants to work overseas when he can as well you know so it's 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 really opened up all, all of us all of our minds and we ended up staying four and a half years we went for two if we hadn't taken that opportunity we would never have had all that yeah because it does make you think well where would I be now if I hadn't have done that and where would my family then be when if I hadn't have done all that now it is that kind of what if moment isn't it and and just touching on what you were doing in you know having a remote team in 34 locations you know you've been handling remote working for a very long time yeah until recently you kind of take it for granted or forget it actually when I was out there obviously my working day started at sort of eight o'clock not you know normal day but it was really quiet because I was based out in Asia. And then about lunchtime, Norway, Finland, Sweden woke up. Yeah. Lunchtime, Singapore time. And then an hour after that, the UK woke up. And then five hours after that, America, America. woke up. So yeah. it was very long days because you'd be doing calls at 10 o'clock at night at home because of the time zones. But you, yeah, you, you are working properly remotely across lots of time zones and across lots of different communities as well fabulous opportunity and a fabulous story thank you so much for sharing that with us Andrew I think it's incredible anybody wanting to know anything about Singapore obviously you must be the new tour guide we've been back twice actually have you yeah we went once for my big 5-0 birthday Joe and I went just to sort of revisit places and see how things had changed and then we went last year with Tom for him to have a chance to see what he remembered yes yeah, so and who knows when we'll get back well <laughs> who knows maybe you'll get some invitations that would be nice. That, that would, would be, be nice. nice, wouldn't it? Paid to go back would be... We're not exclusive ideal. to Singapore. No. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere I'll do. I'll carry Andrew's bag. <laughs> but Andrew, thank you so much. If people want to pick up the conversation with you, where can they find you? Email me. My email address is andrew at awddevelopmentsolutions.com or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Look for Andrew Deaton. D-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing again. Don't forget to send us your comments. We love to read them and do reply. So share this with your friends and family. Don't forget to subscribe. The link you need is makingconversationscount.studio forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.